Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 171. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of Lend It Fintech. Today's show is sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA 2019, the world's leading event in financial services innovation. It's coming up on April 8th and 9th, 2019 at Moscone West in San Francisco. We've recently opened registration as well as speaker applications. You can find out more by going to lendit.com slash USA. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Anju Patwarden. She is a managing director at the Credities Fintech Fund. Uh, she's also been a Fulbright Fellow and Visiting Scholar at Stanford. She's had a very distinguished career in banking. She's worked with the World Economic Forum and, and much more. So I wanted to get Anju on the show. She's got a very unique perspective, and the, and the reality is the Credities Fintech Fund has become one of the most prolific VC investors in the fintech space, particularly when it comes to the US and China. And they've got a unique perspective, but um, as I said, they really haven't been around that long, and they've already made dozens of investments. wanted to get Anju to talk about their investment philosophy, what they look for in fintech companies when it comes to investing. You know, we talk about Credities, the company, a little bit and, and, and how the money is raised for this fund. Uh, we talk about the, the state of fintech today and where the biggest opportunities lie. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. It's great to be here. So you've had a, a very interesting uh, career to date. So why don't we get started by giving the listeners a little bit of background about yourself and what you've done in your career? Uh, sure. I currently work with uh, Credities, which is a fintech company from China, and I'm based in the Bay Area. Uh, prior to that, I spent uh, most of my working life in banking. I worked with Citibank and with Standard Chartered Bank. I lived in Singapore for about 20 years and then moved to the Bay Area two and a half years ago. Did a variety of roles when I was at these two banks, some some years in India and then several years in roles covering Asia Pacific and also uh, global roles. I grew up in India and studied in India as well. I did my engineering from Indian Institute of Technology and then I did my MBA from Indian Institute of Management. I actually joined Citibank uh, right after my MBA as a management associate and was there for several years after that. Peter, I also want to add that I do listen to your podcast regularly <laughs> and I enjoy it. Oh, thank and sometimes you. <laughs> I do learn about I do learn about companies that were not on my radar and I find that find out about them through your podcast. Oh, that's good to hear. Thank you for doing these. Of course, of course. I enjoy it immensely. Okay, so then how did you get connected to Credities? I mean, we know Credities, um, where they've been at our, at our lended events for many years, but I'm curious to know how, how you got connected. Yeah, it was a little unusual and great in some ways. In my last job at Standard Chartered Bank, I was the Global Chief Innovation Officer. And one time I was speaking at a panel at the World Economic Forum at the summer at Davos. The panel was on crowdfunding and I was the banker on the panel. And Ning, who had built this great company in China, he was there as a founder. 
And then there were two other people. Uh, it was one of those CCTV panels, which was later going to be broadcast on national television in China. And that was the first time that I met Ning Tang, who's the CEO, founder and chairman of Credities. We kept in touch after that and I think met again at the World Economic Forum. And a couple of years later, when I was in the process of leaving Standard Chartered Bank, I was about to come to Stanford and move to the Bay Area. I was on my notice period and Ning was uh, in Singapore for some business meetings. We ended up meeting for breakfast and I realized that the company had uh, grown significantly from when I first knew of Credities. It had started as a marketplace lender, but in the previous years, it had also expanded into wealth management, asset management and insurance. It had started uh, several funds and Ning asked me if I would like to join Credities. And, you know, during that one week that he was in Singapore, I think we met for breakfast three times. <laughs> they were really long breakfast meetings mm -hmm. of about two to three hours each time. And by the end of the week, I had decided to join Credities. And it's been a wonderful journey since then. Right. So, so you joined with the intention of, of setting up this, uh, this VC fund. Was, was, was that how it kind of how it played out? Not exactly. Uh, I joined because I think the, the real Ning had was that with all the different things that I had done in banking, he wanted people who could help with the creditors business in China in different aspects. So there was no clear mandate. But it was more like join us and see how you can help the company. Mm -hmm. But he also mentioned to me that they had just started a fintech fund. They had started a VCPE fund of funds a couple of years before that. There was a real estate fund of funds. So I started getting involved in some of the things. And I joined the investment committee for the fintech fund. And then over time, it became more of like, where could I add value living in the U.S.? Uh, because companies, uh, you know, the company's core business, as you very well know, is in China. Mm -hmm. There are over 40,000 employees in China focused on uh, the core lending, wealth, and asset management business. So I was the first person to be in the U.S. And then I started spending more and more time on the investments and on the VC fund. I think the fund had been set up in March of, uh, March of 2016. And by the time I joined, uh, I think two investments had already been made. Right. Okay. Okay. So then what is the, the fund's mandate? Who are you trying to, to focus on when, when you're investing in money? Also, maybe tell us the size of the fund because I know it's, it's one of the largest funds in the world when it comes to fintechs. So can you tell us a little bit about the fund. Yeah. In terms of size, it's a billion-dollar fund. Uh, half of it is in U.S. dollars and half in RMB. Mm -hmm. And the mandate of the fund is basically to invest in and partner with entrepreneurs who have a unique approach to core challenges in the financial services space. It's a fintech fund, but it's a broad definition of fintech. So we invest in companies that are in lending and the related ecosystem. Uh, we also invest in wealth and financial planning companies, in insure tech, payments, enterprise software solutions. We invest in companies that are in B2B, B2C, B2B2C. So, you know, it's also reg tech. Um, yeah, so it's a broad definition of fintech. Right, got it. Okay, so then 
What, so what do you look for? I mean, is there, is there something specific that that will cause a, a startup to get on your radar? Is there is it growth? Is it a big, big market opportunity? What are you looking for when you're considering an, a company for investment? Uh, we primarily invest in growth stage companies. So that's companies which are uh, raising, generally raising Series B onwards. Now, we have all kinds of exceptions to various things, but I would say the broad mandate is Series B onwards. Again, the broad mandate in terms of geographic focus is investing in US and China and also in UK and EU. We look for strong founding teams. We look for management teams which have an exceptional execution capability. And given that it's a fintech fund, we definitely look for the management team which has deep domain expertise in both finance and technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our that's our main focus. Okay, and so I noticed recently. I mean, obviously, pretty much all the listeners will know Renault Laplanche, former CEO of Lending Club, now the CEO of Upgrade. And this was actually a, a company that you, I believe, you led the the recent uh, funding round in Upgrade. So tell us what what attracted you to that business. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, as I mentioned, we look for for uh, exceptional founders with very strong execution capability and strong management team. And uh, Upgrade ticks all the boxes. Jeno is an amazing uh, founder. He has an amazing management team, strong expertise in finance, and he attracts very good people. And we we like the company because of it, uh, because of the business that it focuses on, and also the additional focus that they have on credit health and financial literacy in Upgrade. The company is uh, it started with personal loans. It's already launched a personal uh, line of credit and intends to go into other products as well. Credit itself, as you know, is also uh, in marketplace lending. Uh, Mm -hmm. We started in China 12 years ago as a peer-to-peer lender, and we are probably the largest marketplace lender in the world, but we operate only in China. And uh, Credit started at almost the same time that Lending Club and Prosper started in the U.S., and therefore, uh, you know, the founders have also known each other for a very long time, have have tracked their respective companies. Mm-hmm. And we have a huge amount of respect for what Renault has built. In the past, we have not been leading rounds. We we generally do follow on investments, uh, partly because our fund was new. We didn't have the resources or the bandwidth to do these things. Mm-hmm. And as we, as we get more settled and well-resourced in the U.S., we may be doing more of these. Right. So far, uh, from our fund, we've made about uh, 45 investments. We are now the second most active fintech fund globally, according to a report from CB Insights. Mm-hmm. And out of those 45 investments, I would say about 25 are in the U.S., maybe 12 or 14 are in China, five are in U.K., and then one, I think two in Africa and one in, one in Singapore. So, so we've now realigned our resources. We've set up, we have team members now in China and in the Bay Area so that we can continue to do more in these two markets. And we also have a couple of people in London. So now our team distribution and composition is more aligned towards the strategy that we want to follow. 
Right, right, got it. So I'm curious to, you know, you spent, you said you spent 20 years in banking and now you're, you're really, you're evaluating fintech investments. How has your experience in banking really helped you in making good decisions for investing in fintech? Peter, that's a great question. Uh, when I first started doing this and when Ning asked me to uh, start getting involved in this, to be very honest, I did not think that I would know how to do this. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of underestimated my own experience and knowledge. But in the last two and a half years that I've been doing, I've realized how helpful that experience has been. Um, so when I joined Citibank in India, I was part of the initial team that launched most of the consumer lending products in India. I was there when the bank launched mortgage loans, auto loans, share financing, credit cards. We were the first credit card in the country mm-hmm. and also SME lending. And it was like being in a very fast growing startup. Right, The businesses were going so fast that so you were constantly trying to figure out, okay, now I need to set up a collections team, or now I need to add more underwriters, or now I need to upgrade the system, or I need to outsource to external partners to be able to deal with the growth. So it's a great experience being part of that journey. And then I moved to Singapore, where I was then uh, in various regional roles. I was the first uh, digital banking business head for Asia. In those days, it wasn't called digital banking. We just called it internet banking and mobile banking. Right, so uh, we were the first. It was it was the first time that City was launching internet banking and mobile banking and e statements and SMS alerts in mm-hmm. different Asian countries, and uh, it was great to be part of the team which was working on the strategy. I worked on the strategy. We did the rollout, and then we were involved in selecting partners and also trying out different marketing tactics in different countries to increase consumer awareness and engagement. And that, you know, when I was doing that job, I covered all of Asia, uh, all the way from Japan to Australia and different countries in between. And, And that was a wonderful experience in terms of looking at how financial institutions are select partners. So, you know, when you're working with B2B fintech companies. It was also a very good experience because we made some mistakes. In some cases, we worked with companies which were at a very early stage and then didn't exist two or three years down the line. So again, you know, that whole notion of looking for stable funding, certain you know, certain level of growth or who their backers are, who are the investors, all of those became quite important. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and then, I, you know, after that, I became the consumer finance credit head for Asia. And we were involved in launching um, these products that I mentioned earlier in different countries. Hmm. Uh, Some countries we already had the products, in some countries we were rapidly growing them. And in some other countries during the time I was was there, uh, both at Citibank and at Standard Chartered Bank, you know, I've also been in various roles during the Asian financial crisis during the global financial crisis, during the SARS crisis. And while we saw periods of amazing growth in many countries, in some countries, we also had to shut the, shut the products down. Right. And that also was an important lesson on what are the things to look out for or what prevents you from getting to scale or how to be very, very mindful of the regulatory environment. Mm-hmm. So, so I think all of these experiences have significantly 
shaped uh, our fund in the way we look at fintech companies. So when we look at B2B companies, my own experience as having been in the management team, uh, I was uh, at Stanchard, I was part of the global operations and technology management group. And we used to partner with a lot of companies. So that helps us a lot when we're looking at B2B fintech companies. And when it comes to B2C companies, we are then looking for how they operate and what could potentially be their strategic advantage when they are trying to compete with large banks and financial institutions. Or maybe the other way around is what are the barriers within within large banks and therefore they provide opportunities for these companies to be able to compete and grow. And then our FinTech Fund team, the other team members, also have very rich backgrounds. Most of the team members have previously worked in private equity firms or in the M&A teams in investment banking. Most of them have either lived or studied in the U.S. and then gone back to China. So they're very familiar with the environment both in the U.S. and in China. And that helps us move very fast. You know, a lot of people say, how did you guys make so many investments in two and a half years? Right. And I just say, I just say partly because we have an amazing team with really deep domain expertise. So when we meet the companies, most of the times after the first meeting, we have a good sense of whether we want to move forward or not, right? Because we've all been in this for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. And second, I think being a distributed team in US and China allows us to to work at double the speed. Like the team here does external meetings, we do calls, we you know we have a lot of contacts in the industry. And usually after 4 p.m., we start having calls with our team in China. Like 4 to 7 is typically our China-U.S. call time. And then the people here go to sleep, and the team there gets to work. Mm -hmm. And by the time you wake up, a lot more has already been accomplished. So I think it, it allows us to move much, much faster. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I have met several members of of your team, and I, I've always be, I've always been very impressed at, at uh, you know the, the quality of people that you you've attracted. But so, so then, do you feel like, given that, I mean, you you are unique insofar as you're a very international team. I, I'm looking. I don't think anyone was born in America in, in your team. So, do you feel like you are very different? That gives you a different perspective from. You know, from other VCs who are entrenched Silicon Valley VCs that you know that, that a lot of people know, but you know they're obviously they've got a different sort of team to you guys. So does that do you feel like you're different because of that? I think we are different in several ways. We are first of all, you know, we are very unique in terms of the way we are structured. So we are not a typical VC fund. We are also not a corporate VC. Mm-hmm. We are not investing balance sheet money where we have to have a strategic angle. We are not that. Uh, so if I go back to the credities lines of businesses, I mentioned that we have wealth management, asset management, and marketplace lending. So as part of our wealth business in China, we offer robo-advisory for the mass affluent clients. Mm-hmm. And then we have private banking kind of business for our high net worth and ultra high net worth clients. Uh, we have over 3,000 relationship managers. We have very um, high-end branches for such clients. And we offer uh, several proprietary funds to our private banking clients. 
right? And that includes our BCPE fund of funds, real estate fund of funds. We have a credit fund that buys whole loan portfolios. Mm-hmm. We have an Israel fund. We have a fintech fund. So, so these funds are not balance sheet money. These are the funds that we are offering to our high net worth clients. And they are offered with the primary objective of generating financial returns. Mm-hmm. So there is no strategic angle. I think that's one area where we are very different. The second angle where I would say we are very different is because of the entire ecosystem, right? So we have a fintech fund which makes direct equity investments because we feel like that's the only thing we know really well. We don't know biotech or pharma or other things, but we do know fintech. But then through our VCPE fund of funds, we are limited partners in over 20 funds and very large private equity firms in in US, China, and elsewhere in the world. Mm -hmm. So through that, we have access to a lot of knowledge that they share with us, or sometimes the deal flow, which comes through through the funds that we are LPs in. That makes a difference. And then we have a credit fund, right, which can offer debt. Now, most VCs can't offer debt and equity, Mm -hmm. but we can offer debt through our debt fund as well. And then we have a real estate fund fund of funds which invests in REITs and in real estate projects. So through the ecosystem, we've built a very, very strong network, uh, both in China and in the U.S., which, which helps our fund. And I think the third angle where I would say we are unique is that our U.S. dollar fund invests in both U.S. and China. Right. Uh, We meet a lot of people, even in the U.S., who are looking for exposure to China. Mm -hmm. Uh, But China is one of those markets where you have to be on the ground to be able to assess opportunities and make good decisions. For sure. Uh, So, yeah. So our USD fund allows our investors to get some exposure to China and also to, to other countries. And then the last thing I would say is that while we are, uh, while the reason for our investments is not a, it's not a strategic investment, we can be very helpful to our portfolio companies if they have plans to be in China. Right. Or quite often they go to China for fundraising, right? Mm-hmm. And we can we can help them in terms of introductions to other funds mm-hmm. or to other potential LPs. If they want to do business in China, uh, we can we can introduce them to partners, help them understand the regulatory or legal environment, or introduce them to people who can who can explain all that to us. And in some cases, if there is a possibility for creditees to be their client in China, then that's great, but that's not a necessary condition. Right, right, got it. Okay, so then if, if there's, a, there's an entrepreneur listening to this, to this show who is looking for funding, how easy is it and what do they have to do to get on your radar? Uh, a lot of the people reach out to us directly. You know, initially, like two years ago, most people did not know of creditees in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think now a lot of them, especially the fintech companies, know us. We There's a very high chance that we may have already met them. But if not, they reach out to us either through LinkedIn or, you know, they we are very active at various conferences and events and they, they find us there or they just get an introduction to us through other VCs, other founders. Yeah, so there have been so many ways. And then people can find out more about us on our website, which is cefintechfund.com. There is also a creditees.com website, but that's the parent company website. And a lot of it is in Chinese and English. But for the fund, it's cefintechfund.com. Yeah, 
And I, I will um, I will link to yeah. that. I will link to that in the in the show notes so everyone yeah. can go there. It's an English language site, and it's uh, it's great. So we're getting close to time here, and I want to, there's a couple of things I really want to get your take on here. And you know, you, you've 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 invested across fintech. Obviously, you know the marketplace lending space intimately well. But I'm curious to get your take on when you look at fintech today. Where do you see the biggest opportunities? I would say that we are just about getting started in fintech. Right, the whole fintech landscape. Uh, initially, until about three years ago, 75, 80% of the investments were just going into payments and lending. And now we're starting to see a whole range of opportunities coming up in the B2B space, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's B2B payments or it's capital markets or it's trade finance, uh, the SME ecosystem on the wealth management side, micro savings, micro earnings. So I'm very excited about this space. I think we've just barely scratched the surface and we're going to see a lot more. In fact, last year in the US, 65% of all VC investments were in B2B fintech companies. So we are going to start seeing more and more collaboration and partnership with banks. And then I'm also very excited about what the big tech companies like Amazon and Google and Facebook are doing. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that's also something that we are very mindful of. Uh, both Google and Facebook are experimenting with P2P payments in India, which they, I'm sure they intend to take to other countries. Amazon has talked about getting into insurance and other areas. So I think it's very exciting. It's going to be great to see how it pans out over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm really looking forward to it. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So we were chatting before we hit record and you were talking about um, you were a Fulbright fellow at Stanford, you know, focusing on fintech and financial inclusion. Just can you just explain some of the work you were doing there at Stanford and maybe what you're doing today at Stanford? Yeah, sure. So, you know, when I was with City, I mentioned earlier that I received consumer finance uh, just kept for Asia, uh, the chief credit officer. Mm-hmm. We often have this problem that the customer segment, the near prime customer segment that we were trying to reach out to, the underwriting cost was too high, or a lot of these countries did not have a bureau, uh, or those consumers didn't have a bureau score. Distribution was always a challenge. CAC was high. And therefore, the economics didn't make sense in several of these countries. And in some cases, the bank had to scale back or exit the market because of these challenges. And then when I moved to a different role, when I became the global chief innovation officer at Stanchat, and I started meeting a lot of these companies which were doing uh, marketplace lending or which were using technology to make better credit decisions, uh, whether it was you know using data science or AI or machine learning, I got really excited about it. And to me, it was like, okay, here is a solution to all those things that we could not solve for in those days. Right, And especially with uh, increasing use of smartphones, it also solves the distribution problem. With online access, you don't need physical branches to be able to reach reach people. So so my research at the time when I came, uh, so when you apply for the, the Fulbright Visiting Scholar Program, you have to pick a topic and write uh, a short paper on, on uh, why that topic. So the topic I picked was use of technology to support financial inclusion mm-hmm. for lending and in a for-profit way, right? And the reason I chose that was because even in my own organizations, I felt that 
either people were not aware of financial inclusion, or even if they were aware of it, they often thought of financial inclusion that was either done as CSR or it was done as you know philanthropy by foundation. Uh, basically, the notion was that you could not make money in this, right? And that's why many large financial institutions stay away from it. And what I wanted to do was to somehow learn more about it and then be able to showcase to large institutions that you can do it in a scalable way using technology and you can make money. And and as I got more and more into my my research, this was uh, this program was for five months. I realized that it was indeed true. In fact, earlier this year, we published a paper, uh, more like a report, jointly with uh, Stanford Business School and with IFC. It's called Financial Inclusion in the Digital Age. And again, in that paper, we talk about the various frictions, the various problems that consumers face, and how fintech companies can help solve for those problems and make money at the same time. And we've featured uh, 100 companies that are doing this all over the world. In fact, we picked companies which are already Series B funded or more, right? VC funded, because that kind of makes the point that, you know, they've got VC funding, they've gone beyond Series B, they are uh, mission focused, but at the same time, also focused on the bottom line. And we've covered companies in lending, in payments, in financial planning, and also in insurance. Because the other uh, misconception people often have is when it comes to financial inclusion, they only think of it as access to credit, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, it's not just access to credit, right? The problem is also inability to save or uh, lack of access to insurance or lo- lack of access to low-cost payment options. So so we've tried to talk about all those things. Also, last year, Stanford Business School, uh, I think it is the first business school in all of U.S., it's launched a program on fintech. And I worked closely with Professor Ken Singleton as the program was being finalized in terms of how, you know, what should be covered. And eventually the title of the course became Innovating for Financial Inclusion. Mm. And Ken was wonderful in the way he structured the course. I helped a little bit in terms of getting a few guest speakers. And I also uh, taught some of the classes jointly with him. And and. Uh, we found a huge amount of interest and uh, passion amongst the students to take this forward. Uh, so that's how I did that. I am still affiliated with Stanford, uh, but now it's more as a fellow at the Distinguished Careers Institute. And uh, I occasionally teach some guest classes or, you know, I'm looking for like what paper should be right next. But it's, uh, it's, it's very limited engagement, but it's just great to be part of the Stanford community. Right, right. And I, I will also link to that paper that you did with the IFC. And I feel like that's, you know, this is something I feel personally strongly about that, you know, we really should be attacking financial inclusion uh, in, a, in a bigger way in fintech. And it's, it's, it's great that, uh, that you are sort of, you know, you're, you're leading the way here when it comes to putting that message out there. So we're out of time. But last question, you know, given your tr- perspective, you, you do have a very unique perspective here given your you know, you've worked in the developing world for large banks you've you know you, you've certainly you're looking at a lot of startups now and you, you mentioned you know Amazon Facebook Google are big tech companies but 
Where do you think the future of fintech is going to kind of, or who's going to dominate the future of fintech? Is it going to be the banks? Is it going to be the technology companies? Or do you think that entrepreneurs are going to continue to create great new ideas? Or is it going to be like a combination of all three? I would say that it is going to be a combination. I think it's going to be more of a symbiotic relationship between banks and fintech companies, and the ultimate winner is going to be the consumer. Mm-hmm. In some areas, in some B2C areas, I think no one should underestimate the role that the big tech companies are going to play, especially when it comes to B2C payments. But you know, in, in a lot of other areas, the banks and, and fintech companies will continue to have a very significant uh, role to play. I'm also a, I'm a member of the steering committee on uh, disruptive innovation in financial services with the World Economic Forum. And uh, I've been involved with the forum in some of the reports that got published. There was one on fintech in general. There was one on digital identity, AI, blockchain. So, uh, you know, when it comes to a lot of emerging technologies like using artificial intelligence and machine learning, banks are usually much slower to move forward. Whereas the fintech companies are much more nimble, more agile, uh, they're able to innovate faster. And then sooner or later comes the time that they can either collaborate or the banks can adopt similar technology. So I see a strong role for both mm. banks with their access to low cost of funding, with regulatory knowledge, with licenses, with the capital markets infrastructure, and then the fintech companies, which are nimble, faster, innovative, very digitally savvy. And I think the combination is, is what is going to help us move forward much faster. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Andrew. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you, Peter. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. Okay. See you. First, let me apologize for the sound quality of my voice during that episode. I, I made a mistake and inadvertently had the wrong audio source dialed into the computer here. So I apologize for that. I will be sure it doesn't happen again. But anyway, just wanted to follow up on some of the things that Andrew was talking about there and just the, the future of fintech. And, you know, I think, you know, entrepreneurs have a history of looking for gaps in the market and filling them with new and better and quicker ways of doing things. And I think I, I, I really feel that while banks are going to be a huge part of fintech going forward for decades to come, there will always be entrepreneurs coming in and you know working with the banks potentially, maybe even working with uh, the Amazons and Googles of the world. But there will always be entrepreneurs coming in and making the experience better for the customer, making it cheaper, making it faster. And I feel like that is going to continue forever because I think humans have uh, a tremendous ability to think outside the box and innovate. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's show was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA 2019, the world's leading event in financial services innovation. It's coming up on April 8th through 9th, 2019 at Moscone West in San Francisco. Registration is now open and we're also taking speaker applications. You can find out more by going to lendit.com slash USA.